a series called Starting Strong, and what we've been talking about is the early church, like when Jesus left, um, the church began, and uh, it began in a way with an empowerment and an infusing of the Holy Spirit. And so now, 2,000 years later, we're asking ourselves the question, what can we learn from the early and, and uh, how we can take what they were doing, pushing against their culture, that could teach us some things to maybe push against our culture in those places we don't feel that God is calling us to do. So one of the things we've talked about is that in um, our culture, individualism and personal rights and uh, self-empowerment and all that is at the highest level, okay? In Scripture, the community is at the highest level. In Scripture, we're called to be a body where one part is doing their part and one part is doing her part and, and we're all together. We're part of this community called the church and the church is just a, the, the actual um, word for church is just gathering, what does it mean to be a gathering that is infused or empowered by the Holy Spirit? And so uh, that's what we've been talking about. This morning, we're going to look at two people who took incredible risks. And they, they, they were coming from two different, um, definitely different cultures, um, um, definitely different socioeconomic uh, challenges or, or not challenges, and uh, they both took a risk to come together, okay? And so, uh, um, I don't know about you, but this particular election cycle um, is uh, filled with angst, I guess. Like, I don't think I've, in my lifetime, I've ever seen so much um, just tension and uh, uh, opposition, and, um, and so what I want to talk about this morning touches on that a little bit. It touches a little bit on racial tension. It touches a little bit on socioeconomic tension. What I want to talk about is how do we break dividing walls? How do we break down barriers between us and what we might call them? So, like I've mentioned before, our church is politically split right about down the middle, the Republicans are on this side. and the, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it, you're probably sitting next to somebody of, 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 uh, that you don't like on TV. Um, and, and so, so uh, and when I ter- talk in terms of like Republicans and Democrats or liberals and conservatives, uh, our culture says you should fear the one, okay? It's, they make a lot of money and they raise, rise to power based on fear, okay? The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So when you hear me talking about these different things, understand that I understand that it's okay to not like somebody's ideas and to not value their ideas. It's not okay to not value them. So I'm gonna look at these two, these two men, they happen to be men, and um, we can see if we can learn anything from them. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, uh, in what was known as the Italian Regiment, okay? Now, you read that, and you just think, oh, okay, that's cool. Those are some facts. If you were reading this for the first time, that sentence is pregnant with with, um, uh, language that would 
get things in your mind. First of all, the fact that there was, uh, it was in Caesarea. Caesarea was not liked by the Jews. There was actually more Gentiles in Caesarea than there were uh, Jewish people, and they were constantly at conflict. It would be as though, um, uh, you know, you had... Like there was like more Raider fans than Charger fans, okay? It would be something like to to that uh, extent. And Rome was occupying uh, um, Israel. And so so think about about whatever political side you're on, think about the other side being in complete power and can just walk up to you at any time and say, hey, carry my stuff. Okay, just think about how infuriating that might be. This is exactly what was going on here. As a matter of fact, not too much longer after this was written, in 66 AD, there was an uprising in Caesarea and 20,000 Jews were massacred. Uh, And at that time, they destroyed the temple as well. And so, or began this process, I guess. And so, uh, there was just this this tension in Caesarea. Now, it's interesting because Jesus actually spent a lot of time there. I wonder why he did that. Uh, and so there's this centurion uh, named Cornelius. So a centurion means he was, was, had um, a lot of power. As a matter of fact, one of the first Gentiles that Jesus talked to was a centurion. And so they were, uh, uh, had a place of prominence. They had servants. They had people under them. And uh, they were in a place of power. And so when you're reading this, you say, wow, okay, I, I can, in my mind, stereotype what this guy was like based on all the other centurions I know, okay? But the next verse is interesting. You've got this Roman guy occupying your country, okay? There's lots of tensions. They can put you in jail for any reason, they're, 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 the, they're the others. They're the opposite side of the fence. And this is what the Bible says about Cornelius. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. How is that possible? That the person that thinks opposite me could possibly be devout and God-fearing. As a matter of fact, it kind of... That bothers me because I want them to not be God-fearing and not be devout so that my beliefs on them can be accurate. So, he gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. Watch how God reaches out to this centurion. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. This is basically every time somebody sees an angel, they're scared. So they're not little tiny babies with wings that jam around. They're, 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 it's scary when this happens. What is it, a Lord, he said, and this angel didn't go to angel school because he's supposed to say, do not be afraid. But he leaves that all, all out. So maybe he didn't like Cornelius that much. I don't know. Maybe he was happy about that. Uh, we'll have to ask God. Uh, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Isn't that fascinating? This guy who has no relationship with Jesus, as a matter of fact, You could make a case that his people killed Jesus. And he's not really Jewish because he doesn't go to the temple. He just takes care of poor people and he prays. 
That's what he does. That's how he's known. That's how God saw him. And let me, let me just tell you this. If you are new to Christianity or you're new to the Bible, taking care of the poor and praying, God notices. He notices your struggle. He notices the questions you have, the unanswered questions. He notices how you're trying to figure it all out. And he's fine with it. He wants to draw you to himself. And he wants to have a relationship with you. But for now, this is all Cornelius did. He didn't memorize any scriptures. He didn't do anything. He prayed and he gave to the poor. Loving God, loving people. And so that's what they say to him. Now watch. Here, here's the thing. Now they're going to require something of Cornelius. See, it wasn't just like, hey, Cornelius, uh, heard your prayers. Some of them were outstanding, by the way, I might add. And I've seen the gifts you've given to the poor, and uh, we've tallied it all up, and you made it. Good for you. You know, you, enough money and enough prayer, and you, you earned your way into heaven. No, like all of us who have a relationship with Jesus, there comes a time when something is required of us, a risk. There's a time when we need to step out in faith. There's a time when, even when all, we don't have all the answers, all the things worked out, that we say, you know what? I'm jumping in. And so here's what the angel asked Cornelius to do. Now send men to Joppa, and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So essentially, there's two Simons. Okay, so don't, don't get them confused. Because I was, I was reading it uh, earlier this week, and I'm like, wait, what? Say Simon? Like, which Simon is that? It, it, you can figure it out. I have a degree in this. And so I was able to finally, through struggle and a deep Bible study, figure out which Simon was which. Uh, any, anyway, so he says, go to Joppa, find Simon, who's called Peter, and he's staying at Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, this is, this is fascinating to me. Because he says, send men. The angel doesn't say, go to Joppa. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just go? I have no idea. He says, send men. So these are, these are certain instructions that uh, he has to follow. So when the angel who spoke to him had gone, now again, it's interesting if, you're, if you watch the Bible, at first it was a vision and then it says, now the angel was gone. You mean the vision stopped or the angel was gone? I don't know. I just had that question while I was reading it. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. This is a huge risk. This would be like an angel coming to you and saying, Joe, take the company car <laughs> And drive up to Sacramento, right? Like, he's using Roman employees to do this. So, but watch it. The risk gets even worse. Devout, a devout soldier who is one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So this is how it had to go down. Hey, you guys, um, I need you to go to Joppa. And they're like, Why? Well, I need you to go see this guy named Peter. Well, it's also called Simon. Simon or Peter or whichever. And he's at Simon the Tanner's house. Oh, okay, why? Well, I had a vision. <laughs> like, 
Like, this is, this is Cornelius the centurion, and he's got to tell these people who are under him, yeah, I had a vision of an angel, and so the angel told me that I had to go. And they're thinking, oh, he's lost his mind. And now I have to go to Joppa to go find some dude by the beach. Like, thanks a lot, Cornelius. Why don't you just go? But see that risk? Cornelius didn't know everything, and yet he was following through with what he thought God wanted him to do, what he knew God wanted him to do. You might be in those shoes where you're just kind of, you just keep taking the next step and the next step and the next step. You don't have it all figured out. You just know God wants me to do this right now. Why are you going to church? I don't know. I just, I just feel like God wants me to. God wants you to. You're going cuckoo. I don't know. Hey, I'm just doing what I think he wants me to do. And that might be where you are. Huge risk for Cornelius. One, he's got to take his servants and send them out. He's got to take another employee for his boss, send him out. If there's an uprising and those guys aren't there, he's in a lot of trouble. And he takes the risk. Now, I want to read about someone else who took a risk. So, meanwhile, back in Joppa, is kind of what you'd see if you were reading the Bible. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey... And approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, this is interesting because noon wasn't a typical um, time for Jews to be praying. So this is something Peter is just doing on his own. He just goes to the roof. And the way it was all, the roofs were flat. And so he would have been sitting on the roof. It's kind of cool. Looking out over the sea, the sea breeze hitting him. And he's praying to God. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. This happened to me in line at In-N-Out. I was hungry, and while I was waiting for the meal to be prepared, I started daydreaming about what it would like, be like to be a superhero. Um, and so then I wasn't paying attention, and someone had to honk at me. No, it was nothing like that. This trance, this word for trance, just means he uh, honestly began to have a spiritual experience. Okay, he wasn't just daydreaming. He wasn't just thinking about something. He was actually having a spiritual experience. This is why this is so important. God broke into Cornelius' life. This Gentile who was, had a position of power, and he busted into that and essentially it is trying to pull him into a relationship with God. At the same time, he breaks into Peter's routine. And he begins to give something for Peter to risk. So that you have these two men, and it doesn't have to be men. It could be two women. It could be a male and female. It could be a kid. It could be a student. It could be whoever. Oftentimes, God can break into our lives and give us something that we know is from him, and it's going to be a risk. Sometimes it might be talking to somebody who you used to think was other than you. Maybe a stereotype. Maybe something that you grew up with, that you were taught by your parents. And all of a sudden, God begins to break through that and say, I wonder if that's really true. If they're really like that. It begins to stir in our hearts. So he became hungry and he, um, he uh, goes into this trance. And here's what he sees. He saw heaven opened 
and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. So you can kind of imagine this giant sheet being, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. So just to give you a little bit of background, many of you probably already know this, but to the Jew, these dietary laws were very strict. Okay, you couldn't eat uh, certain hooved animals, you couldn't, if the hoof was split or if it was, you know, you, you, you had to look for that. You couldn't eat reptiles. You, there were certain birds you could eat, certain ones you couldn't eat. You can't, you couldn't eat something after it had been dead for a certain amount of time and there was like laws with blood and all this kind of stuff. It was very, very, very important to them. And so uh, that's what's on this sheet is basically all these different kinds of animals. Some they would call clean which is what you, could, you were allowed to eat, and some would be unclean, which you're not allowed to eat. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is a command from God. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. <laughs> like, there's no way I can do that. I have grown up since the time I came out of my mother's womb knowing what I'm allowed to eat and what I'm not allowed to eat. And on that are things I know for a fact I'm not allowed to eat. So he says, surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So God says again, which is, I think is very sweet. God didn't say, well, then you're going to die, <laughs> right? Because God could do that if he wanted. A voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. The first thing I thought of, because I'm kind of immature, was Peter lost out on the ability to have bacon. <laughs> and I think that's punishment enough for not obeying God. And I think God knew that. So he just pulled the sheet up and said, fine, no bacon for you. And uh, I, I, I don't know if he had bacon later or not. But this is what happens. God is, is using this vision, and you, can, you don't need to be a, a Bible scholar to figure out where God is going with this. That there are some things that God had called unclean, but there is a new season now. There's something different that's happening. The Gentiles are going to hear the gospel. It's fantastic. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, because for us it's really easy, we get it, you know, we can read it and kind of get it and go, oh, I know where this is going, because we know about the Cornelius story already. So he's wondering about the meaning of the vision. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house um, was and stopped at the gate. Now, Simon the Tanner's house. They called out asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. See how you have to have a very large brain to figure all these things out. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, so this must have been quite a vision. First, in the verse before, he's wondering about it, and he's trying to figure out, man, what, can I, can I have a, like a double bacon burger? I mean, can, like, what, what does this actually mean? What is God trying to tell me in this vision? While he's still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This is Peter's second risk that he's going to have to take. He's going to go with strangers. And not only that, they're Gentiles. And so that was a big deal for him. They were other. 
Now, Jesus had this same conversation with a woman in Samaria. And the disciples went up through Samaria, which was a, a place Jews could not stand Samaritans, and Samaritans could not stand Jews. And Jesus has this conversation with not only a Samaritan, but a woman nonetheless. And in that culture, women had very, very little value. And Jesus, in this conversation, begins to show what God really thinks about women. That they do have value. That they are equals. As a matter of fact, the first person that Jesus told he was the Messiah was to a Samaritan woman. Because Jesus is about breaking down dividing walls. And so, he says to Peter, I've sent them. So Peter went downstairs and said to them, I'm, uh, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Peter takes his third risk. He invites them in, which would have been, uh, it was allowed, okay, uh, to invite a Gentile into your home, but you wouldn't necessarily have dinner. You wouldn't have this, you know, uh, uh, fellowship and all these different things. You, they were allowed in, but he takes that risk. But I found it interesting that these guys not only went to where um, Cornelius sent them, they bought his story. There must have been something that was happening in Cornelius. Some way he told the story or maybe he'd just been a person of integrity and they just knew it and they said, man, if he says he had a vision, he had a vision. And so uh, Peter invites them into the house. The next day, so they spent the night there, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Now, I wanted to just point this out because it's really, really important. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Jonah. And if you remember from Sunday school or whatever, it was Jonah and, and the whale, okay? It wasn't actually a whale. It was a big fish, the Bible says. It doesn't say it was a whale. It wasn't Shamu, okay? So uh, it was just this large fish. And um, what happened was Jonah was told by God to go share God's love with the others. This was a, another group of people that Jonah didn't like at all. As a matter of fact, Jonah could not wrap his head around the fact that God would even love those people. Jonah saw them for what they were, just sinful, wretched people. But it's very interesting the way God describes those people. Why God wanted Jonah to go there. God was, what they were doing was so bad, God was going to wipe them out. And here's how he describes the people. They don't even know their right hand from their left. <laughs> like, yes, they're sinful. Yes, they're doing evil things. But they're just lost. And so he's trying to get this to Jonah. And Jonah wouldn't do it. And he takes a boat from where he was to Tarshish. <laughs> Do you know where Jonah was when he took the boat? Joppa. He was in the same town. It's almost like, it's almost like God is saying, I I'm doing this, I'm going to do this out of Joppa, right? And so Peter's in Joppa now and God's doing the exact same thing with Peter that he was trying to do with Jonah. And Peter had the same means of escape that Jonah did, but he didn't take it. He took the risk for this guy Cornelius. 
So the next day he starts out with them and he takes some believers from Joppa, which was common uh, when you went on a trip, you'd take some people with you. And he went along. The following day he'd arrived at Ces- uh, Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Another risk. I, I see, if I were Cornelius, I'd be like, well, let's just make sure Peter gets here. <laughs> like, I don't know, my guys might not be able to find him or what. Cornelius is all in. He is all in. So he sends these guys out and he tells people. Now he's got to tell more people, his relatives even. I mean, some of the scariest people you can talk to are your relatives, right? Because you know, they know you the best. And you're like, hey, I had a vision. And they're like, yeah, sure you did. I remember when you were five, you used to suck your thumb. You know, it's like, it's like he invites them all. He tells them the story. And they all show up. A, an incredible risk. Cornelius meets him and fell at his feet in reverence. Here's a man of authority with the people that he works for, that work for him watching. And he humbles himself in front of his employees, in front of his family, in front of his kids to Peter. Peter says, like, Peter went to apostle school, so he knows what he's supposed to say. Stand up, I'm only a man myself. So that's usually what an apostle says when something like that happens. While talking with him, Peter went inside. This is a very big deal. You think, well, of course he went inside. He was not supposed to go into a Gentile's house. Another risk for Peter. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. In that day's journey, When he's walking with these guys, the vision made sense to him. That God wasn't necessarily talking about food, although I think he was uh, as well. Jesus had already in Mark, we read that when Jesus was talking, Mark had added the little narrative that um, there he had made all foods clean. Um, So Jesus had already done that. He realized we're talking about people. We're talking about people who are controlling the country who have no business being there. They're occupying Israel. As a matter of fact, if you're a Jew, you have every right in human culture to hate that person. And yet, our Heavenly Father reaches into two cultures, miraculously snatches them out and has them meet each other. Because God is about breaking down, dividing walls. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Here's how it relates to us in our language today. You might have a certain belief on a certain subject. And you're passionate about that subject. And there are those who have a belief on the other side. And you, and for the life of you, cannot figure out how in the world that person can think the way they think. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Does, am I make, does that, have, you know, you guys don't have anybody like that. Wow, I'm amazed. I need to go confess my sins because uh, I have several of them. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. They have, let's we'll, we'll call them wacky beliefs. They think, but they have value before our Heavenly Father. Not necessarily to change their mind, although that might come later. It's to have a relationship with him. 
And so what ends up happening in our particular culture with social media and all those things is that we end up hating the person. We end up shooting out little jabs and it gets higher and more tense and we get angry. And what we end up with is not being right. We end up with fear. If they get in power, what's going to happen? Well, guess what? They got in power. God is showing us that this Roman guy who, they're on opposite ends of the political spectrum. God brings them together. Why? Under the banner of Jesus comes unity, regardless of the beliefs in other things. Now, again, some of these beliefs are very important. I get it. Don't send me any emails. Well, what about this and that? I, I, I get it. I get it. My point is we cannot devalue them as people because God has not called them less than. He loves them just as much as he loves us. And so, <laughs> this is so great. This is such a huge risk. So he says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And then he says this, "Um, may I ask why you sent for me? (laughs) Like I've kind of been wondering about this the whole time. Peter didn't even know. He just took this risk. And then Peter began to speak. um, Cornelius tells him the whole story about the vision and Peter begins to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Uh, Your next objection might be, well, oh, there's my caveat. There's my loophole, (laughs) right? The only reason I need to like him is if they fear him and does what is right. That is not the case and scripture would not support that. Scripture knows about sin and knows about being incorrect and knows all those things. But it is not up to us to devalue a person because we disagree with their lifestyle. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. We don't even know if everyone who heard the message even believed it. It was like, family and friends and everything and all of a sudden God shows up in power on these people that were once separate from Peter and now there's this unifying because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter had spoken, we didn't get into it because we didn't have time, but Peter had spoken about the reason this all takes place is because of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection to which Peter and many, many others were witnesses. And that it's by that sacrifice that unity can come, despite the fact that there's differences in culture. And so uh, they come. So, so the circumcised believers who came to, with Peter were astonished. Like, wait, what? That's kind of our thing. Like, why do they get that? They're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, and Peter stays with the Gentiles. Well, they come back, and... Uh, It had taken a while, and so this is what happens. Peter kind of stepped across the line, 
And everybody who hadn't stepped across the line had something to say about it. They had a critique. They knew better. They were angry with Peter. How can you do that? How, how could you go and stay with a Gentile? As a matter of fact, it says the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers circumcised him and said, uh, oh, criticized him. No, he was already circumcised. And it's Simon Peter, not Simon the Tanner. So I just want to let you guys know that. I'm talking too fast. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised, uh, of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Think about this. The Holy Spirit was given to those people and the only thing they can come up with is you went into their house and ate with them. This is the exact same thing that the Jews were getting all on Jesus about. You, you ate with tax collectors and sinners, and that's a no-no. The fact that you fed 5,000 people, raised a couple people from the dead, uh, healed the blind, uh, made the lame walk, cured leprosy in a few people, that, that's all bad. But it's just the tax collectors and the sinners thing. So you see how human we all are? That's the thing that hangs us up, really? So Peter explains himself, and he ends up with this. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in his way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and praise God, so so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. As Adjua comes back in, I want us to just, I mean, comes back up. I want you to look at this blank. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praise God, saying, so then, even to Republicans. <laughs> wow. Is that what it, even to Democrats. Even to Raiders fans. Even to pick your thing. Pick your thing. If maybe it's a race thing. Don't shout it out. I don't want to know your thing, okay? Just even to what? What would you put there? And I think God would have us risk to get to know somebody who's in that blank. So we're not just force-fed a bunch of stuff of this is what they're all like, this is who they are, oh, I know, I've seen it, I've heard it, that you actually find somebody that you can get to know and see what God might do in your heart and in their heart to come under the banner of Jesus. What we're going to do right now and, um, is uh, take some time to uh, reflect on that and, um, and we'll sing a song, and if, you, if this is a Sunday you give, we prepare our offering at this time. A lot of us um, give online, but if uh, this is something you do, do at church, then um, you do that, and we take our connection cards that we hope everybody, every household fills out, and we put those uh, all together, and we put them in a box in the back. Um, but maybe, maybe God would speak to you about an, an someone who is other. And again, I'm not asking you to accept sin or water down what the Bible says people should or should not do. I, I, I get that. I, I, know, I know about all that. It's them. It's how can we cross the border and share 
Christ for them. For some of you, maybe uh, this is a, you're, you've been a Cornelius, and you've been kind of like on the edge, and maybe your risk for this morning is to just jump in and say, you know what, I'm committing my life to Christ. For others, you may have been a Christian for a very long time, and your risk is on the Peter side. And that there's somebody that maybe you've never talked to because you were worried about them or scared of them or uh, they were just different and now it's time to just take that step. It might be just walking across the street talking to a neighbor you haven't talked to. 